And how do you look at this, this incredible invitation of a relationship? How do you look at that and say, well, I can just be a pl- lover of, whatever, of what I want? How do you justify that? And so this week, you know, last week we talked about uh, being made new. We're a new creation. We're a new creature. We're no longer the old. And then Paul begins to paint this picture in Colossians. Um, and I, I love the letter to, the, to, the, uh, to that church. Um, but he paints this picture in Colossians of what it looks like. This new life. And literally what you dress yourself with and what you put on and how you demonstrate yourself. And, and basically just paints this picture of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. So in, in, in Colossians, I'm going to share with you, if you would turn with me to Colossians, I want to, I want to take a, a look at some, a, a couple of verses here as he begins to, as he begins to uh, paint this picture. And if you turn with me to Colossians... Let's start. I'm going to read. I'm going to read. Kind of brush through this kind of quickly, just because I want to. I want us to reflect on a, a, a couple chapters of scripture here that he talks about in this letter. Uh, the first thing he says uh, there in the bottom of page or page the the uh, bottom or the first part of chapter two and verse four, I believe he says, "I say this in order that no one may delude you with poss- plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, I am with you in spirit." rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. In Christ, in verse eight or verse um, six, he's going to say, "Therefore, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk in Him." And then he begins to paint the picture of what that looks like. How do we walk in Him? One of the first things we, are, we do is that we stay rooted and built up in Him. We stay rooted in Christ. We realize that I can't do this. I can't live the life that God is calling me to live. I can't live this life that I'm even really truly searching for. I don't even know what I'm searching for at times. You know, you're searching for this sense of, you're searching for something, but you really don't know it until you come across Jesus' invitation, you give your life to Him and you begin to discover life and life to the fullest. And Paul says, stay in the faith. Stay committed to it. Stay rooted in Him. Stay built up in Him. Now, this letter to the Colossians, he's writing it because he's really addressing about four heresies that the church that has creeped into the church and the church is starting to entertain. A couple of those heresies are things like you can't touch anything of the world. Now, there's some things that we don't touch because it's just common sense, right? As a Christ follower, I don't. But they took this belief that everything in the world is evil. You know, and, and, and Paul's saying, wait a second, God created everything. It's, it, it was, it, you know, Christ created everything through His spoken word. But what he's talking, he starts addressing these heresies, and he's saying, don't get caught up in these arguments. Don't get caught up in these philosophies that are absolutely wrong. And that doesn't mean that we can't entertain philosophy. The purest the definition of philosophy is the lover of wisdom and knowledge. So it's, it may not be a philosophy to, to study, to, to, be, to, to love wisdom and knowledge, especially as it comes from the Word of God where we say this is where truth originates as God. That's not a bad thing. But Paul's saying you better be very careful of what philosophies you're buying into. And would you agree with me that we live in a world where the world's philosophies are starting to creep into the church? That's dangerous, guys. 
And when we start entertaining the philosophies of the world, we're going down a very slippery slope. And it's not, there are some things that it's not okay to do. There are some things it's not okay to be. There are some things that it's just not okay. And we were talking about this with a couple of guys there before the service. Um, really what it is, it's a purest form of atheism because if we can eradicate absolute, right? If we can eradicate that there is, there is someone or something that sets that bar of standard, that sets that bar that says this is the absolute truth, if we can eradicate that, then you and I, we can determine how whatever is true is true, Right? I think this is true. Okay, you think that's true. Okay, well, mine's true. Yours is true. Hey, that's awesome. Let's go have a party, right? That's not how it works, though. God sets the truth. God is the originator of truth. God is the absolute. And so Paul's saying, don't let the philosophy of this world persuade you. You don't need to add on to your salvation. You don't need to worship angels. You don't need to do these other things like these philosophies are indicating or suggesting. Paul's saying Christ is enough. Stay rooted in Christ. Build your life upon Christ. And you will, uh, you, that's part of our becoming alive in Christ and becoming a new creature. It says, see to it, and he says it, see to it that no one takes you captivity and philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, for in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him, there's that absolute truth. In Him is the head of all rule and authority. In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with Him in baptism, which you were also raised with Him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. I love this picture that Paul paints. He says, your trespasses, your sins, the things that God is taking, and he's saying, I will take those and exchange you for purity, right? I'll exchange those. I'll take all your baggage. I'll take all those sins. I'll take all those trespasses that were done against me. And this is what I'm going to do to them. I'm going to nail them to the cross with Jesus Christ. They're dead. They're absolutely dead. That's why we can sing, death, where is your sting? You know, where's your authority, grave? Where's it at? Because we've been given a new life in Christ. These things have been, and he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them, or over them in him. Christ literally trumped them. And so Paul begins to talk about this life, being alive in Christ. This isn't a form of godliness, this is true godliness. Where we are trusting, we're sacrificing ourselves, we're taking who we are and we're saying, God, take it, take it, take it. And because we give Him that, He exchanges and gives us the purity of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, how? Let's talk about the how here in the next uh, few moments. Uh, we flip over to verse three or chapter three with me, and we're going to look at verses twelve through. We're going to look at chapter three here, starting in, in verse twelve. 
And in verse, uh, chapter 3, it says in verse 12, put then on as God's chosen ones. Now, this is where he starts addressing us as believers, as committed followers of Him. We're made alive in Christ. What does that look like? What does it look like? Not just to have a form of godliness, but we, where our identity, our true essence, our true character, our true being is rooted in Christ. What does that look like? And he says this, put it on. This is what you dress yourself with. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you, almost, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He goes on to say, and let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word, the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thank, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to the God, the Father, through Him. And so Paul paints this picture and he says, put this on. This is who you are. This is your new creation. This is your new creature. So guys, when we read a passage like this, we literally are able to look at this, look at this and say, this is my litmus test. This is what I put myself up against. This is when I look at my life, these are some of the things that should be evident within my life if I'm following Jesus Christ. And it's not that we're producing them per se out of our strengths. They're being produced in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit because we're submitting, we're yielding, and we're surrendering ourselves to the power of His Holy Spirit. And when we do that, when we yield ourselves to the power of His Holy Spirit, His Spirit produces His fruit within inside of us. You're not going to be able to produce these things. Only He can. Now some of us say, well, I'm a patient person. Or I know a patient person. They're not really a Christian. It, it, it won't weigh up. It just doesn't weigh up. Okay, so this is what Paul says, put on, put these things on. Now, I want to talk about that for a few moments. I want to talk about the how, what that looks like. So in this first part, essentially what he's saying is it's the grace of Christ. By God's grace, by Jesus's grace, we are able to become these new creatures, this new creation. And so as we begin to look at these things, we're putting these things on. I want to thank you guys. Um, if you, I'm sure you, you understood where I was at last week, but uh, my wife's father passed away last um, the Monday of last week, and so we were able to. It was one of these things where it's like, okay, let's go, let's you know, get the kids, let's go. We're going to West Virginia and um, be with her, be with the family. And it was one of those things, the question always comes, well, was it unexpected? It was like, well, kind of, but not. You know what I mean? One of those things where you knew it was going to happen. And, and just from his health, he had been in, living in that position for a while. And it, you knew it was going to happen, you just didn't know when. And so, as we went to the funeral, it was, a, it was kind of bittersweet, as some of you have experienced with your family. It was a celebration, but yet you're mourning the loss of someone that you truly loved. We've talked about this. You've talked about it. You've had discussions like this where you say, I hope at the end of my life someone can stand and say, that person was a follower of Jesus Christ. That person exhibited grace. That person put on love. That person put on the things of Jesus Christ. They committed their life to Jesus Christ. They allowed Christ to take their life and truly produce His fruit 
within that life. And I'm not just, I'm not, I'm not trying to be biased here, but he, you know, it's, it's, he was my father-in-law and, and my wife's sitting right here, so I can't really say anything negative about him, but, um, which I did, I did have a part of the service, so I was able to kind of provide some, anyhow, um, but it's one of those things where don't you want to, don't, would, would, would that bring you ultimate joy if you knew at the, at the end of your life as, you're, as people are coming and they're kind of reflecting, they're saying, that person made a difference in my life. She made a difference in my life because she committed herself to Jesus Christ. And through that person, Jesus touched me. Jesus grabbed a hold of me. Sometimes I think we think that's some trite statement that we talk about in church. That is the essence of life, isn't it? Or should be. That is the essence of life. That is why we live, is to bring God glory. And what, what a celebration it is when people left behind can look at their loved ones and say, that person, that person allowed Jesus to shine through them. That person allowed Jesus to just reach people, to touch people, to impact people's lives. They yielded themselves for that. I, I, I pray that that's all of our prayers. And so, you know, at, at this funeral, that's kind of what it was. He took on. There was a time in his life where he didn't follow Christ. My wife, uh, she was 12 years old when her family accepted Christ. and, and but, but it became that thing where he recognized that commitment that he made to Christ and he allowed Christ to change him. He put on the things of Christ because that's what the Bible taught. And that's what he was going to yield his life for. And as one person said, and you've heard the statement before, it's you get to the point where you just live to die, right? Not to the point of you just want to leave this world, but it's that's what life was about. To live to the point to where you can die at any moment and everything's going to be okay. That your family's going to stay okay because they knew you spent time teaching and influencing. And, and, and it wasn't some aspirational value system that you had, but it was this thing that you believed in and that you were passionate about. And Jesus made a difference in your life and because they made a difference in other people's lives. And so that's what Paul's saying here. Put on these things. Tender mercies. Tender mercies. Does that describe you? I mean, you read these things and you're like, man, this is, this is tough. Tender mercies. How do I interact with other individuals? Am I a person where someone can look and say, that he, he extends tender mercy to me. He's not a person that, that wants to beat me over the head or, or there to condemn me or to say, I told you so. Or she's not that type of person. She's a person that exudes tender mercy. Or kindness. A person is just a kind person. It's like the story of David and Mephibosheth. Remember that story? Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Jonathan and David were, the Bible says they were souls were knit together. That's how close they were. They were extreme close friends. They, they loved each other like they loved themselves. And remember, Jonathan was Saul at the time, the king. It was He was his son and and Saul tried to kill David because he was jealous. And Saul cared more about what other people thought of him than he did what about the, what God cared. And so the story goes that David made a pact with Jonathan to say, if you die, I will take Mephibosheth, your son, to live with me. And when you read that story, you realize that Mephibosheth was a crippled child. 
He was completely dependent upon whoever was with them. And the story goes that Saul got killed. Uh, they were in war and Saul and Jonathan, his son, got killed by the sword. And David goes into the house of Jonathan. And he gets Mephibosheth, who doesn't deserve his grace or forgiveness or kindness or mercies whatsoever. And he rescues him and he says, Mephibosheth, what is mine is yours. The kingdom is yours. You're now part of my family. That's what God does for us. You don't deserve it. I don't. No one deserves what God does for us. And yet God comes in, in this, His tender mercies, His His uh, this kindness that He exudes through His Son, through the through the through the sacrifice on the cross. And He says, "This is my, what's mine is yours. What's mine is yours." Is that you know? That's what Paul is saying. That's what we put on. We put on this sense of of mercy, uh, this sense of kindness, this sense of humbleness of mind. Humbleness of mind is something we don't see a lot in our day because what it is is called humility. And humility is one of those things where it says, I don't have to be right all the time. I don't have to be heard all the time. I don't have to have my way all the time. I'm okay. My identity is in Jesus Christ. Because usually when people are not humble, it's because usually they have a rock-bottom self-esteem and they're out to prove something. And it's like, hey, could you just back off a little bit? We don't have to prove ourselves to anybody because we understand our position in Christ. And it doesn't matter if someone else gets the glory. It doesn't matter if someone else gets overshadows us or whatever. We have this sense of humbleness. The next one is meekness of God. This, this again, power under control. Back to that kind of humility picture as well where we are meek individuals. We are long-suffering Man, talk about one that long suffering. I don't know about you, but that's not my that's not my niche, right? Patience is not my niche, man. You get around kids for a little while in the family, and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna kill somebody. But spring break can be hard at times, right? And you look at it and you're like, you know, we, we I mean, I can make it humorous, but at the end of the day, it's kind of sick. Am I am I am I long suffering? Do I give? Do I exude patience to people? Do I exude patience to my kids? Do I exude patience to my spouse? And and I think a lot of these build upon one another. You know, as you have meekness, kindness, humbleness of mind, and this sense of meekness or mercy is there. Sense of meekness it enables us to become long sufferers because we're putting on the things of Jesus Christ, and we realize this is the hardest thing we'll ever do. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will happen, and so we become people of long suffering, forbearance. We hold back our judgment on other people. We hold back. We realize, I may not have all the details here, and I don't have to judge somebody. And we hold back this sense of judgment. We recognize that's God's business. Let God deal with it. And we begin to pray for these individuals that may may, um, tempt us to be in judgment of them. Forgiveness. Are you a forgiving person? Yeah, I'm a forgiving person, but I never forget. It's like, okay, you know. Are you a forgiving person? To the point where you say, you know what, this doesn't matter. Why do I want to go through my whole life carrying around this bitterness, which Hebrews tells us that when that bitterness is planted inside of us, 
This unforgiveness, this bitterness, it produces this, this, this root, it produces this plant inside of us that it, that it yields this bitterness. Some of us, it's, it's like we, we struggle with that. And then the last one talks about love. Because love is what knits all of it together. Love is what is the cohesiveness of it all. Love is the glue of it. Where we And we put these things on. We don't just say, well, these are great suggestions, Paul, but these are kind of hard, so I'm going to just go about my own way. That's not what it's about at all. We realize that we're a new creation, and we, we, we're saying, this is what I believe God wants me to be, and I'm going to live in that harmony with God. And then he talks about, in verse 15, he talks about the peace of Christ. So we put on the grace of Christ, which all those things we just talked about is kind of the grace of Christ. And then he says, he talks about putting on the peace of Christ where we surrender our will to Him. Let me, let me just share something with you guys. If you live your life in a state of tension all the time, think about maybe, I'm not, maybe you're not living in a sense of peace with God. Now, I'm not saying that every time you experience a little bit of tension that you don't have peace with God or salvation, but a lot of times the reason why we're never at peace is because we're not at peace with God. If you're at peace with God, what trumps that? If I can truly say my heart is at peace with God, you can treat, I may not like it, but you can treat me like an animal and it really doesn't matter. I get that I'm human too, okay? I get that that would be hard. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I have peace with the Creator of this world. May I suggest that maybe sometimes as we're talking here, the reason why that's not there is because ultimately I don't have this sense of peace with God. And when I don't have a sense of peace with God... Now I'm running around this horizontal bar all over the place trying to fix or figure out why I'm so upset and tense all the time. Does that make sense? That's, what we, that's a lot of times what we do. We always look at the external, right? Well, if this person we talked about, if this person would change, if this circumstance would go away, if this event wouldn't happen, if things, you know, it's like, holy cow, who wouldn't want that, right? Let's take us back to the Garden of Eden. You know, it's like, well, if I was in the Garden of Eden, all these things would be perfect in my life. Absolutely, right? Nothing's being put to test. But we live in a broken world where everything's put to test. And when we get ourselves to the point where we understand, as long as I have peace with God, He's going to produce everything else, these things within my life. And I'm going to have peace with other individuals. Whether they agree with me or I agree with them or not, I can still have peace. That's why... We have a lot of conflict in relationships because our hearts are always at war. And when we have this sense of deep peace with God in Christ, a lot of that is alleviated and we don't have to deal with it whatsoever. The last one, or the next one, is the Word of Christ in verse 16. The Word of Christ, this book, sacri- or this book transforms lives. If you allow this book to be the authority of your life, it will literally transform your life. It will literally rock your world from, the, from inside out, upside down. It will rock your world. If you allow this to be the authority of your life. For many of us, this is not the authority of our life. Rationale or logic is the authority of our lives. The opinion of others is the authority of our lives. Other influences is the authority of our lives. 
And that, again, takes us into an area that, that, that we're never going to sense peace. We're never going to sense harmony. We're not going to have it. It's in Christ that we find this sense of peace in the Word of Christ that transforms our lives. And when we dwell in that, when we dwell in the presence and in the Word of Jesus Christ, this is all very elementary teaching, guys, but it's, would you agree that it's the hardest thing we ever do? When we allow the Word of God to transform our lives and we dwell there, it literally feels like I'm at home. There's this sense of peace, this sense of calmness that sweeps over, over us that, that, that enables us to understand why am I trying to own something that I can't change? That's called insanity, right? I'm going to try to change something that I cannot change. But when we allow Christ, when we dwell in Christ, in His Word, and realize that He is in charge, that He's the one that's going to work all these things out within our lives, there is a sense of peace and harmony and a sense of freedom that just literally sweeps over us. And it's like we feel at home in a good sense. Paul was writing this not only to individuals, but he was also writing it to the church. Okay? So these, this, this, these words to, to, to uh, the, the, the people of Colossians or Coloss, uh, the church in Laodicea, they, Paul was writing to them individually to say, put on these things. But he's also telling this to the church too. Stay in Christ. Stay in the Word of Christ. Philosophies are going to come in. Throughout this letter, he's talking about false teachers coming in with philosophies that are wrong that go against, that contrast, that, that, that are against the Word of God. And he's saying, stay in Christ. Stay in Christ as a church as well. And then the last thing I want to share with you here this morning, and uh, the, the worship team would start coming back up, is the name of Christ. The name of Christ. So he's saying, put on these things. Put on the grace of Christ. Put on not only the grace of Christ, but put on the peace of Christ. Put on the Word of Christ and put on the name of Christ. You know, why he said, you know why he says put on the name of Christ? Because there's nothing in this world that has more authority than the name of Jesus Christ. I love that passage of Scripture. I think we shared it on Easter, but that passage of Scripture where it was, um, I believe it was John and Peter. It was after the... Um, Ascension. It was after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, and they remember that story where they're walking the streets, and and there was a beggar there, and they said, hey, you know, the beggar begins to beg them for some money or whatever, and they turn, and they look at him, and they say, look at me. I love that. Look at me. I don't have what you're asking for, but the one thing I do have is the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And it says the guy stood up. And he walked. And he did what many people do when Christ grabs a hold of their lives and transforms them. They worship and they praise God. The name of Jesus Christ transforms. It becomes a question of, will you allow Him, His name, to transform your life? Literally, transform your life. In His name, there is authority. In His name, there is extreme privilege, but there's also a high sense of responsibility too. Paul tells us that he saves us to do good works. Paul says that, that Jesus extends this sense of salvation all for 
the glory of God. So it's not about this collecting our fire insurance. It's not about, well, I'm going to heaven. I made this decision years ago. I'm good to go, and I'll just, you know, I'm just waiting for him to return. That's not what it's about. It's about putting these things on and becoming the image of Jesus Christ. And with that comes this responsibility per se. It's not. I don't view it as a negative responsibility. I don't view it as something that we that, that's like, oh man, I gotta do this. It's something that I get to do this. I get to participate in things of eternal significance. I get to see lives being changed. I get. To, have you seen an individual within your family or someone that you love dearly except Jesus Christ? And you know, you look at them and you're like, this person has changed forever. They're now part of the family of God. That's eternal. Those of us that had the, the, the awesome uh, opportunity of baptizing one of our children, it's such an awesome opportunity because you look at it and you say, There's, this is not of me. I could have never done any of this. But it's God reaching into the life of my child. And He saved them. And we baptized them. And we experienced this taste of heaven. We experienced this taste of eternity. You're not going to experience a taste of eternity if it's all about you. If you're dwelling on yourself. If you're putting on the things of you. If you're always anxious and tense and you're unforgiving. And you don't really deal with this meekness. And I get, again, guys, I'll say it again. I get that we're human. But for some of us, it's like we kind of do what the world does when we say, well, that's just me, accept me. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Christ will literally rock our world and transform us. And we can live in this sense of peace and harmony with God Himself. And so there's this privilege, but there's also this tremendous responsibility where we can go and we can share this love with other individuals. We can share this transformation that's taking place within our lives. We can share with others and, and share with them this, awesome, the, the, this, this message, the good news, the gospel that Jesus is, desires a relationship with them, ultimately bringing honor and glory to His name. That's what it's about. That's why if we are allowed to live 70, 80, 90 years and it's time to go from this place to the next, that's why it's so awesome when you can have people stand and say, that person put on Christ. That person, there's no doubt in my mind where this person is at because they put on the things of Jesus Christ. They recognized that they were a new creation. They recognized that they were a new creature. They recognized that the Word of God just that, that can transform, and it literally transformed who they were and transformed everything in and through them and about them. It changed everything about them. That's why that we can stand and say those things about other individuals. I hope that's something that you can say about me, that others can say about me, and we can say about every single person in here. That person changed my life because they allowed Jesus to shine through them. They brought God glory. Their concern was to bring God glory. Their passion, their vision, their mission was about bringing God glory. I pray that's on our hearts. We're going to sing a song and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond here in a few moments. I've got a little exercise that I want to just share with you. You probably got an index card. So if you kind of get that out and just get prepared, 
Uh, I'll come back up after this song, but let's use this song to allow Jesus through His Holy Spirit to connect with us, to connect with our spirit, to say, "Is this? Just, do I just have a form of godliness to me? Or does this cut deep? Is this truly who I am? So let's allow through this uh, this next song to just spend some time thinking about that as we as we sing and kind of engage him. So uh, would you stand with me? Let me let me lead us to a word of prayer as we enter into this next moment of our service. Father, thank you so much for your love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. So it's so easy to take it for granted at times. And, and, and frankly, it's it's startling and uncomfortable at times when we read your word and it arrests our thoughts and takes our, our minds into captivity and it arrests our hearts and it makes us stand back and question because I think we all want to please you. I think that is something that we desire, but living in this broken world, sometimes it's easy to become distracted. Sometimes it's easy to fall back into the old rut. Sometimes it's easy to, to, to kind of just go back to the old way of living. And, and, and not really know we've slipped back until your words gently bring us to examine it again where your spirit points it out to us. I thank you that you never give up on us. I thank you that if, if, if some of us have kind of slipped back into some old patterns, I thank you that your spirit today is coming and nudging and gently saying, hey, we need to talk. We need to talk. And so I pray that people would just, out of their love for you and obedience for you, would respond to your Spirit's call. And they would allow the Spirit to have freedom within their hearts and their minds right now as we engage in this next song. Just communicate with us. Let us just spend a few moments in your presence listening to you. And it's in your name we pray these things.